really it's the central point, that centrality of the gospel is God's absolute love for us. And really the whole series, Life on the Road, is just that. It's a picture of that in the middle of the things in our life that are not good, that are a mess, that are ugly, that we hide, that, that, that hurt, God shows up in the middle of those things and just says, man, I love you, love you, in spite of all of that. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman, a woman that had a life full of secrets. And we're going to look at a God that says, I love you in the middle of all that. The truth is, we all have secrets, right? I mean, we all have things in our life that, that nobody knows about. We all have those things that um, are those small or those big things that we wish would never really come to the light of day. Uh, we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible, you can grab it. If not... Bruce is going to pass them around. Um, Catherine's passing them around. Feel free to grab one. But we all have secrets in our life, right? Things that we've never really told anybody. When I was in the sixth grade, I was playing Pony League Baseball. And in Texas, Pony League Baseball was kind of like, you know, it was kind of like advanced all-star baseball. I don't really know why I was playing. I really wasn't very good. Um, but I rode the bench a lot. And I was playing with some older kids. They were in the eighth grade. I was in the sixth grade. And so I spent a lot of time that summer playing Pony League Baseball, riding the pine. And... Those baseball games are long. If you've ever just been to one, it's a long time there. But if you're playing in one, not playing, that is really long. And so I had to find creative ways to kind of um, entertain myself. And usually that involves some version of a hot dog and uh, sneaking outside the dugout to do something else for a little while. Because I was not needed. And this one day in particular, I remember I was starving. And so I was going to sneak out for a hot dog. Coach was never going to miss me because I never, ever played. And so I thought I'd, I'd sneak out for a hot dog. And so, you know, we were batting or whatever. I snuck outside the dugout and I went to the concession stand. But in order to get to the concession stand, it was this, you had to go into this uh, little building. So I went into the building, and I got a hot dog, and you gobble it up real quick. I'm in my baseball uniform, and, you know, I'm trying to get the free snow cone because you're in your uniform, you know, because everybody loves a snow cone. So I was like, but I played. They're like, the game is still going on. You can't get a snow cone till after the game. I was like, hey, my game's over, you know. I mean, just so I got a hot dog and a snow cone, and I'm gobbling those things up. My dad would be mortified right now if he knew I was sneaking out and getting a hot dog. But I was walking out, and I was going through the door, and I look on the wall, and there's a light switch. And I just walk by going, huh, I wonder what that does. Because, you know, I didn't think I... I flipped it, and nothing happened. I flipped it, flipped it, nothing happened. And then I walked outside, and all the room was screaming, and it was pitch black. Boom! Baseball field lights are off. People are screaming. And I'm going, what? Did I just turn off the lights to the whole thing? And it was those old halogen kind of lights where once you turn them off, they're off. You turn them back on, it's like, pew! And like for half an hour, they get brighter and brighter and brighter. So I flipped it back on so you can see that tiny little little thing up in the, but it was pitch black. And everyone's screaming and there's babies crying. And, and so I'm thinking, whoa, what am I going to do? So I, I race back to the dugout, right? I'm, I'm dark and I'm trying to go through. And I sit down and, and the lights are coming on and they're going, what happened? What happened? And, and, and then somebody turned off the lights and one of the kids on my team goes, Trev wasn't here. Where He, he might have turned off the lights. And coach comes over and he's like, did you turn off the lights? And I was like, what lights? You know, I didn't, I, I just panicked. I was going, no, I didn't turn off the lights. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. And the kid was like, you did it. I was like, I didn't do it. I got mustard on my lips. You know, I'm like, I did not turn off the lights. And to this day, never told a soul that I turned off the lights of that game. I mean, flat out half hour game delayed lights just coming back on. And I was sitting there on the bench just shaking, you know, I'm just 12 years old or something. Um, but I'd carried that secret forever. In fact, all through middle school, people would be like, you remember the lights went off and that? And I was like, oh, yeah, it was a crazy day, man. God turned off the lights or whatever. Yeah, that was. 
But we carry these secrets around. I'm not, I'm not really talking this morning about those kind of secrets. We've all got the, you know, whatever you did at spring break in 1984 or whatever, you know. I'm not really talking about those kind of secrets. I'm talking about the things in our life that haunt us. Those things that, that are there that we know that if they ever came to light, it would be so exposing. Those things that, that make up and impact who we are. Those secrets of, of being found out. The fact that there's things in all of our lives that we just flat out hate. And this morning we're going to be in the book of John as we look at a woman that's dealing with a life of secrets. And we're going to see God step right in the middle of that. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. And we thank you that you love us and care for us and desire a relationship with us. And God, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes and hearts to who you are. Um, that you would teach us through your word. Take just a moment right where you are and just pray in your own heart. Just ask God to, to open your heart to his love this morning. Just say, God, open my heart to your love this morning. And pray for someone beside you or in front of you or behind you. Just pray that God would, would move in their heart or in their life. And pray for me that I'm up here to no selfishness or self-righteousness, just an empty and open vessel that God can use. God, you are, are just so, so good. And uh, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would break our boundaries, that you would break our, our walls that we put up between the world and between you and ourselves, um, and that you would step into our lives and interrupt us in a very um, powerful way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to step down here, so if you're in the back and you can't see me, sorry. Our stage lights aren't working, so we'll, uh, I can't read. So I'm getting older. I turned 35 last week. Um, I almost got a walker. And, but now I can run for president. So, you know, I've got that going for me. So I'm thinking about a run in 2012. So, um, All right, so Jesus' encounter with Samaritan woman. All right, um, this is what's going on. Ver- chapter 4, we'll just start and kind of walk through it together. <clears throat> The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who was baptizing but his disciples. And the Lord learned of this. He left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So Jesus and the Pharisees have this constant conflict over the law. And they learned that Jesus was actually getting more attention and attraction than John. And they have issues with that. And so rather than have a big old confrontation, Jesus just heads out of the region. Now, the ancient Palestine was actually made up of three main regions. It had um, in the south Judea, in the north Galilee, and right smack dab in the middle was an area called Samaria. And on the western border was the Mediterranean Sea. On the eastern border was the Jordan River. And so in that time, Palestine, those, what, 2,000 years ago, had those main regions. Now, Judea was sort of the, um, the central of all Jewish life. But that area right in the middle, Samaria, was a hated area because the Jewish people had this huge conflict with Samaritans because the Samaritan people were a mixed blood. They were Jews that had intermarried with the Gentiles and sort of lived in their own region. And the Jewish people hated them. In fact, if they touched a Samaritan or if they even touched a dish that a Samaritan had used, they became unclean. So if a Jew was traveling from Galilee up north to Judea down south, they would oftentimes walk. 20 miles out of the way, cross the Jordan River to the east, head all the way north, cross the Jordan River again just to get to Galilee so they didn't have to walk straight through Samaria. 
So it's really interesting here in verse 4 where we hear that John say, Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he's in Galilee, headed to Judea, and he had to go, or he left Judea, headed back to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria. And I was reading a little bit, and I came across a scholar who said, Jesus had to go to, through Samaria because he was in a time crunch. I started thinking, I go, really? All through Scripture, we ever see Jesus in a real big hurry to get anywhere? It seems like all the time he's kind of just poking around, right? And all he does is walk around. So I was thinking... What a, what a ridiculous explanation to think that Jesus was somehow in a hurry. So he's like, oh, I was going to dodge that whole people group. But then I realized I was running out of time, so I, I had to cut through. I began to realize that, that it's not about time. It was about mission. Jesus had to go through Samaria because it was a divine encounter that way. And he has an encounter with the Samaritan woman when he had to run, go through that region. And it's just like Jesus to break all the boundaries anyway. And everyone's like, oh, you can't go through Samaria? He's like, sure, I'm just going to you know, walk right through. Watch. And he cuts right through. And so it says that he had to go through Samaria, and so he came to a town in Samaria, verse 5, called Sychar, and near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, Jesus, tired from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So he's walking through, they come to a town, there's a real famous well, I wish we had time to get into it, but Jacob's well is about 120 feet deep, it was one of those deep water wells where everybody came from around to draw water. He's tired. He leans against it. It's noon. Noon in the Middle East is hot. The disciples go into town to get food, as we're going to learn, and Jesus sits against this well. Verse 7 says, When a Samaritan woman comes to draw water, Jesus says to her, Will you give me a drink? Because his disciples have gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And she was right, because Jesus even asking her for a drink was unheard of. Jewish people did not have any kind of contact with Samaritans. Plus, by law, if he touched his lips to that water jar that she was drawing water from, he would become unclean. So she says, what do you mean asking me for a drink of water? You can't do that. You can't talk to me, much less drink from my water jar. And so Jesus, like he always does, when people respond with kind of this temporal, worldly, earthly thing, Jesus always responds with something really big and eternal. And so he does just that in verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that actually asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus does this flipper question kind of on the on its end and says, if you would know the gift of God, you would actually ask me for this living water. And so she says, well, you've got nothing to draw water with, and the well's deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? And so did his flock. So she's still talking earthly, worldly, temporal. Jesus is talking eternally and kind of big. And he says, living water. She goes, well, where do you get this? The, wa- the well's too deep to get living water. And, and they're just missing, all right, missing this whole conversation. And Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir... Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to this. So she's still thinking kind of worldly. She says, listen, that, that never have to drink again, that's really cool. Because I hate carrying my water jar here every single day. She says, so if you'll show me where this water is, I won't have to come here anymore. So she's thinking, hey, this is going to solve all my kind of worldly problems. Jesus is talking about something much, much bigger, as we're going to see in a minute. So Jesus says this in verse 16, which is fascinating. Jesus tells her this. Go call your husband and come back. What an, interesting, what an interesting statement. Because here they are talking about water in a well. 
And Jesus tells her to go get her husband. Seems really out of context. And she says to him, uh, well, I have no husband. And he says, you know what? You're right. You don't have a husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you're now with, he's not your husband. So what you're saying is actually quite true. So she'd been married five times and the guy she was with now wasn't even her husband. And, and I mean, this is kind of scandalous for us now. Like if you think about, you know, somebody you know has been married five times and is now living with someone who's not their husband. I mean, that's even in our time. But imagine 2,000 years ago with the role of women and, and just the society to have been married five times and living with a man that wasn't your husband. I mean, this woman, this was a scandal. This was huge. So Jesus intentionally asks her to go get her husband. And, and we'll hit on that in just a second. But this is kind of a scandal. And this woman says, I, I have no husband. He says, you're right. You've had five, and now you're living with a guy, and he's not even your husband. And she says, sir, I can see you're a prophet. And our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Uh, but the Jews claim that this place you worship must be in Jerusalem. And Jesus goes on to say, believe me, woman, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and truth. And she says, I know a Messiah is coming. And Jesus looks at her and says, I am he. This is an incredible story. I mean, here's this woman just coming, minding her own business, drawing water from the well. And she has this incredible encounter where Jesus tells her that he's the Messiah. She ends up leaving her water jar, going back into the city, telling the people in the town about the Messiah that's here. And a ton of people end up believing because of her testimony. She goes, this man told me everything that I ever did. I started thinking about this passage in terms of our lives. And what does this tell me about God? And I wish we had a ton of time because there's a lot of things to explore, but I just want to lift out a couple things. The first is this. Do you know that God knows your life? Now, don't agree with that statement too quickly because I think on one level we all understand that God knows everything in our life. We, we say we know that, but we don't live like we know it. The truth is we have a God that knows every single little thing about our lives, but we don't live that way because it's easier for us to pretend that God and the people around us don't know about the things that are really awful about us. I mean, it's kind of why the God loves you sermon doesn't sit well with most of us. You know, when someone tells you, you know, God loves you. I mean, we know that, but if we're really honest, it doesn't sit that well because I've got a mess in my life. I am not a pretty picture. I don't do a whole lot of things right. The things that I think aren't this. My past is this way. How can God really love all this? I mean, I hear you say it and it sounds nice on paper, but truthfully, I don't love me. How does God love me? But God knows every single thing about our lives. I love the fact when Jesus looks at this woman and he says, go get your husband. Can you imagine the things that ran through her mind? She's thinking, oh my, if he only knew, if he knew, if he really knew what my life was like, if he really knew that I'd had five husbands, maybe, maybe I'm a widow a couple times, maybe who knows what happened, but, but if he only knew that I had five, and that the man that I'm with right now is not even my husband, Scandal of epic proportions at that time period. It's kind of like I'm sitting there and the coach looks at me. He's like, did you turn off the lights? I'm like, what lights? If you only knew. I mean, if you only knew that I was out getting a hot dog and turned off the lights. I mean, there was that whole part of me that didn't want to be exposed. And I guarantee that woman felt the same way. Jesus says, go get your husband. And that whole part of her that's petrified of being exposed. It's why a lot of us don't feel comfortable in church. Because we're so afraid of being found out. That we're going to actually get there and someone's going to, from the, from the front's going to call on us and go, 
What does John 5 say? And we're going to be exposed because we have no idea. No idea. When we started doing the contemporary service, and when we came in, in November, we had a couple people that came in, and as I introduced myself, they just asked me this, please don't call on me. I was like, call on you? I don't call on people. But, but that's the idea is that we're really afraid of being exposed for, for kind of who we are. Because we want to look great on the outside. But we don't all have it together. The truth is we've got secrets that compile our lives that affect who we are. And I guarantee you this morning you are carrying something with you that is petrifying about, that petrified to think that somebody else might find out. And we even try and pretend like we hide it from God. We like to pretend that maybe God doesn't know. The truth is, God knows your life. Now, why is that important? Well, I think it's important because God reveals himself and then redeems all things. So Jesus redeems himself to this, uh, reveals himself to this woman. She didn't discover it was him. She didn't just kind of go, hey, that guy by the well looks a whole lot like that guy they were talking about and he's going to make my life. She doesn't even understand what he's talking about. She comes to the, the, the well with her water jar, and Jesus says, give me a drink. And she says, you can't talk to me. I can't give you water. And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God. She didn't understand the gift of God. And we don't understand the gift of God. But Jesus reveals himself to her. She said, sir, I know a time is coming. And I know that the Messiah is on his way. And Jesus says, I am he. And it changed her life. I think that Jesus asked her the husband question to put his finger on her pain. To put his finger on that thing in her life that she was most ashamed of or that she was trying most desperately to hide. And you know what? I think God does that to us a lot. He asks us those questions, shows up in our life with those areas of pain, or he keeps pointing out that one thing over and over and over again that, that causes us the most heartache. Not because God wants to expose us to the world, but because God wants to remind us that He knows our life and that He absolutely loves us in spite of it. Do you know that that struggle, that hurt, that sin, that secret in your life is actually an entry point for God? It's where God wants to step in and say, I love you. Most of us just can't grasp that because we feel so unlovable. But God steps into that place and says, I love you. And once we come to grips with the fact that the God of the universe would meet me in the middle of my darkest corners of my heart, we begin to see how big God is. So Jesus reveals himself to this woman and then he redeems her life. She leaves that well, dropping the very water jar that she came to fill because you know what? All of a sudden water seemed not to matter. There's something so much bigger going on. She races back to the village and she gathers everyone together and she says, a man who I just met who has told me everything that I've ever done is here and he's the Messiah. And it goes on at the end of that chapter to say, and lots of people came to know Christ, came to believe because of the testimony of this woman. See, Jesus redeemed her life. Once we understand that those things in our life, those awful struggles, those hurts, those secrets, those fears are redeemable by God, everything changes. No longer do we have to be afraid of being found out. But we can understand that the God that exposes is the God that heals. He redeems, man. God redeems. So whatever you walk through these doors with this morning, whatever thing that you hope no one ever finds out about, whatever struggle, whatever secret, whatever issue you did way back then or you did last night, God shows up in the middle of it and He says, I love you and I can make it right. 
Not fix it. Not make it better, but make it right. I can redeem it because I can change your life. I'd love to get a picture of this woman's life after this encounter with Jesus. But I guarantee you, she's a changed woman. God can redeem anything. I don't care how broken you think you are. I don't care what your struggles are. I don't care what you've done and how awful it's been. God will will and can redeem your life. And so for some of you that are sitting here this morning saying, you don't know me. You're right, I don't. But God does. And His promise is to love you, show Himself to you, and redeem your heart. And this morning, if you're ready for your heart to be redeemed, if you're ready to give your life to Christ for the very first time, to say, Jesus, step into this mess and make me right. And we want to invite you to pray with us, to come down and spend some time with a man man or woman on our prayer team, or come visit with me and just say, I want to know God. The song that we're singing, Jesus, friend of sinners, is not because Jesus is the friend of everything evil. It's because he redeems the worst areas of our life as the Lord of truth. He hangs out with those that nobody else will hang out with to say, I love you and I can fix that. So this morning as we close our time in worship, I'm going to invite you just to open your heart to God to say, God, what is it that I'm hiding from you? What is it that I'm petrified of being exposed about? And God, I need you to redeem it. I need you to meet me where I am, reveal yourself to me and redeem it. And this morning, if you want to give your life to Christ, you want to ask Jesus to come into your life and begin the process of a new life, just as we're singing, come down and and pray with us, visit with us. We want you to understand that God is here to redeem your heart.